Hey, thanks for joining us today on this episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton, and today is our second part of a two-part conversation Ken and I have about breakthrough. In the first uh, episode on breakthrough, we talked about how do you achieve it, how do you get breakthrough, and in this episode, we're talking about how do you steward a life in breakthrough. We hope you enjoy. I'm hearing you say it correctly, there's, you know, two of the components that we're talking about in, in regards to breakthrough is uh, persistence and power. So we want to persist right. until we hit that vein of power. However that works is up to the Lord, but we have to continue to contend until we hit the power. Can you, can you talk just a minute about like, how do we know and, 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 and what does that look like when we hit the power of God? Um, yeah, so the power of God, it can be, I'd say, on the simplest end of things, um, that people come under the Spirit of the Lord, and with this they begin to shake. The power of the Lord is shaking them. And so their hands may be going back and forth, or their knees may be knocking, or their whole body could be vibrating. Um, but the power of the Lord can actually... I think there's levels of it. Uh, Charles Finney talks about how during the Second Great Awakening, um, he had an encounter with the power of God. Now, he was not a healing evangelist. He was just a man who preached unto salvation with great effect. So he was, he was a straight, conventional evangelist evangelist. But um, Finney talks about how uh, one day he went out into the woods, and it was a snowy day, so it had to have been winter. And uh, he said he knelt down in the snow, and he began to pray. And he says, and then I saw him. So apparently Finney had an experience of Jesus appearing. And he says, and he looked at me, and he broke me right down at, at his feet, and I wept like a baby. And then I felt bolts of power going through me, and I rose a changed man. So he, his preaching was now empowered. Again, he wasn't a healer. He was a preacher. But his preaching was now empowered. And with that, he now had something that caused him to become the catalyst of the Second Great Awakening in the mid-1800s. So that would be a snapshot of what it might look like. Lake talks about something not that dissimilar from this, but it's not quite exactly the same either. He says... First of all, he had an experience where he had come into the Pentecostal experience at Azusa Street, and he had received, as it was called, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and he spoke in tongues. And he thought that he was doing fine, but he, he was seeing that he wasn't, he wasn't having all the effect that he wanted to have in his healing ministry. And so he began to press into the Lord, and he said, I want the real baptism in the Holy Spirit. Whatever I got, as good as it was, there's something more, and I want that. And so he began to pray and pray and pray. And as I remember, he prayed for seven months. may have been nine, but anyway, whether it was seven or nine, it it was a period of months that he sought the Lord for this. And I remember when I read that, I thought, that's it. I speak in tongues. I want something like that. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And I don't remember when I first read that, but 
I'm going to say it was probably in the early 1980s. And then in 2010, I had an experience. Now, between the 80s and 2010, I did not pray about it every day. After a while, I grew tired. I grew weary. I thought, I don't know why this isn't happening. I don't know what the issue is. I got frustrated. I was busy with my career. I didn't have time to pray for it all the time. But still, I would bring it back to the Lord from time to time. And I would periodically have seasons of prayer specifically focused around that. And then maybe I'd go weeks and not bring it up with the Lord at all. But then in uh, 2010, I was, I went, I, I'd had a, uh, experience in my life in the natural, just a human, you know, life happens kind of thing. And, uh, and I'd gone on this retreat and I was at the retreat and I was, I was sitting there listening to the speaker and I would say there was nothing particularly unusual that, that was going on in that moment, except that the speaker was speaking and I was there. And, you know, Lake describes in his journals that when he found the baptism in the Holy Spirit, he said, and I'm quoting now, something like a warm rain was falling through my body. That's how he describes it. It felt like a warm tropical rain, but it didn't fall on me. It went through me. And I remember that that really caught my, that's why I can quote it as I can. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So I'd, I'd been praying about this from the, you know, kind of maybe 82, 3, 4, 5 time frame up until... 2010. So if you're doing the math in your head, it might have been 25 years or more that I had sought the Lord for this. And I'm at this retreat, and I would say it was no great, I mean, it was a great retreat, but there was nothing unusual happening in that moment. And all of a sudden, the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, as he did to John Lake, it was, it was verbatim, because when the Lord gave John Lake this thing that he was looking for, he said, Lake, I have heard your prayers. You are now baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he said the warm rain began to fall through him, and he felt like bolts of power going through his body. So I'm sitting in this retreat, not expecting anything, totally clueless, not even thinking about John G. Lake. And the word of the Lord comes to me, and he says, I have heard your prayer. You are now baptized in the Spirit as you have requested. And something like a warm rain fell through my body. And I felt bolts of power coming coming into my body. And maybe not unlike what Finney says in his journal when he encountered Jesus in the forest. He said, I had to cry out that he would restrain his hand lest I die. And I was knocked out of my chair on the floor, and I looked like I was being electrocuted. I mean, I didn't know that, but the people around me said it looked like that. And I was, you know, kind of crying out and shrieking, and I was stiff and rigid as though I were being electrocuted, but these bolts of power were going through my body. Well, I got what I sought, but it took me a quarter century or more to get there, and not, not always consistently. So, you know, I, I think sometimes we, we think it's just going to be, you know, just a simple layup, but some of these things of God are very precious, and I, I don't think I've ever told that story publicly before, but they're very precious, and and so God does not give his higher treasures to those who are cavalier about them. And here's the scriptural underpinning for that. Do not cast your pearls before swine. Yeah, I mean, Ken, I, I just know from what I'm feeling right now and and what I've seen with, with some of the things that you've done, I, I, I just, I'm pretty sure that 
there are people right now that are experiencing the beginnings of that. And so I was wondering, like, I think people right now that are listening to this are, are some, some of us are going to be experiencing that right now in that power. And so I was wondering if you could maybe pray into that just a moment. Yeah, sure. Then, then let's talk about a few, a few other things. But yeah. Father, right now, just as we are here gathered, and this is a holy moment, and, you know, I've shared a story from my own life that I have rarely, if ever, shared with anyone. And, Father, I know there are many who are saying, man, I, I speak in tongues, but I don't have that. Lord, that was my prayer, too. And, boy, I'd love to get another one of those. But, Father, for all those who are listening, for all those who are hungry, your word says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. And, Lord, I pray that there would be a filling into the hands, into the arms, into the torsos, into the legs and feet, into the mouths and tongues and minds of the bodies of the people who are hearing this, who are holding out their hands, maybe holding them up to you, maybe falling out of their chairs now, maybe getting down on their knees, saying, God, I want that. God, do whatever you need to do in me to give me that. I want that. If that's available, then I want it too. Lord, I pray that you would just open the heavens and you would come down and you would give exactly that. Because the word says, you give freely to those who ask. And the word does say about wisdom, but I believe it's also for power. Because the disciples were told to wait, to wait in the upper room, to wait until power had come upon them, and then they would be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. Lord, I pray that you would give people the, the, the hunger and the, the intensity and the focus to persist in that kind of praying until, as it were, whatever it is for them, I don't want to define it as only one experience, but as it were, the warm rain falls through them and they feel those bolts of power go through their body. Father, give this. We, as a church, are in need of that once again. Send us a new Pentecost of that type. Yeah. Thank you. I, I just feel like the Lord is right now just, just pouring that out on people as they're listening to us. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Lake also talks in his journals about how on another occasion he was praying for yet more power. And he was kneeling as he was praying. I don't know how many of us kneel as we pray anymore. A lot of us do prayer walks, or we stand and pray, or we sit at our desk. And, and those are valid, too. But anyway, you know, kneeling is a particularly humbling posture of prayer. And he was, he was praying, and he said, suddenly an arc of light encompassed me. And he said it was the whitest light I had ever seen. I dare say it was the whitest light in the whole universe. And a voice, capital V, spoke to me out of the light and said, Lake, I have heard your cries. I am giving you my power. And, you know, I think there are actually levels beyond the levels. And the problem is we have so few people who have trafficked in these areas who have, who have trodden these pathways of God. We see them in scripture. We see Moses on the mountain. We see Isaiah in the temple. We see Jesus first in the wilderness and later on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
we see Paul struck to the ground, but then going into Arabia and fasting. I mean, we see these things in Scripture, and yet in our time we have become so cavalier about everything that we could, like Isaiah, say, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And it's really there that Isaiah receives his commission. Ezekiel had a similar thing. It was in the, I forget what he says, is it the 30th year I was by the river Kebar, and it's like Ezekiel 1112, and I looked away to the north, and my eyes were opened, and I saw visions of God, and I fell on my face. I mean, these things are actually not rare in the Scripture. Abraham had one. God came to him with a smoking pot and a flaming torch, and it says, and a great and terrible darkness came over Abraham. And God made a promise and cut a covenant as the pot and the torch passed back and forth between the parts of an animal that Abraham had laid out in sacrifice. Apparently this happened at sundown. That's why a great and terrible darkness came. This was not a night of sweet dreams. This was a night in which I think Abraham was seeing the future. God was giving him prophetic visions and foreknowledge, and he saw all that would happen to his descendants as they would go down into Egypt. Maybe he saw what would happen in the wilderness under Moses. Maybe he even saw the, the, the decline of the kings of Israel and of Judah, and how ultimately the very people God would bring out of his loins would be sold into captivity because they would forsake the very God with whom he was making covenant. I think that's why it was a great and terrible darkness that came over Abraham. But Abraham, Abraham, he was a man of faith, and he was true in all his house. And so God kept covenant with Abraham. And so Abraham rose from that to become a great and mighty man of God who could intercede with for a Sodom, who could go after the armies of Keterlaomer with only 318 men and rescue his nephew Lot from their clutches. I believe these things are, are actually far more common in Scripture than we have supposed, and yet in our time we just, we just don't call people to this kind of expectant faith that we can have these encounters with the Lord. Mm, that's so good. I, I, I just really feel like right now there's people listening that just feel like they're getting ready to jump out of their skin, and so uh, we just pray the fire <laughs> fire of God just fall on them right now. Uh, yeah, amen. And, and, uh, yeah. and begin to receive that hunger and, uh, and that fervency. And so uh, I, if this was a sermon, this would be like, let's go, let's get to the altar and uh, <laughs> let's move this thing let's on. Let's carry. And, yeah, lay hands on yeah. that, folks. Um, if that's you, it, it might not be a good idea. It, it might be a good idea to press pause and, and, and just just wait on the Lord and just cry out uh, e- even now for that that fresh touch uh, and filling from the Lord. It's, I, I, I feel like it's available right now for you, um, if that's you. Uh, so try, trying to think about this as a podcast and moving this forward, Ken. I mean, it seems like it's, it's persistence and it's getting to the power and then once you get there, um, you know, then what? And I, I remember the, the famous John Wimber quote is, is, is the power is with the presence. And so I feel like intimacy is a, is a component of this. Is that, is that where you're driving us next? Yeah, intimacy is a really important component of it. 
Um, and, you know, people have used that term a lot, you need to be intimate with God, but I don't know how well-defined that term it often is. Yeah, intimacy is, it, it's a combination of things. It's not one single thing. But when intimacy is happening, we first of all, we need to really be careful to discriminate here and delineate that we do not mean intimacy as that term is commonly used between a man and a woman. Um, but, but nevertheless, when that kind of intimate contact is happening between a man and a woman, oftentimes, you know, expressions of love are expressed, gazing into each other's eyes, um, you know, terms of endearment. I mean, there's all of that that goes on. And I would say, you know, we actually want to get to where we can express those terms of endearment to the Lord. And if you will, gaze into his eyes. Now, if you fall into a vision or a trance or Jesus appears to you, you might literally be looking into his eyes. But if you're not having that experience, you can at least imagine as though you were. And you can describe for him how wonderful he is. And, and I might even suggest on this one, even though all of this is rooted in the cross, don't just default to thanking him for the sacrifice of the cross. You can do that, but don't let that be all you do. Instead, let it be terms of endearment. Lord, when I look at you, you are beautiful and lovely. And when I smell the smell of your breath as we are face to face, I, 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 I smell something of the passion that is, that is within you. You breathe it out and you breathe it in. And I want to catch some of your breath. And as I am near to you, if I may, I want to reach out. I want to, I want to touch your face, Lord. I want to touch your face because to touch your face is to touch the face of God. And when I do that, I see that you are not only strong and compassionate, but you are lovely and beautiful and, and in a way that really transcends my own ability to describe it. And when I look into your eyes, I see... I see flames of fire, and, and I realize that that's your passion for me as well as the passion of all of humanity. And, and with that, as I look at you loving me, I in turn want to love you. And I, Lord, I can't, I can't get close enough to you. I, I want to be entwined with you. I, I, I want my life and your life to be bound up together so that every day in every way everything we do we do together i mean it's that kind of talk that we want to be having with him and i would dare say most people have no idea how to pray that way they probably don't even know how to relate to their own spouse that way but but that's i think where we want to be heading and and you know to have that kind of intimacy now let's go back to our little bit of talk about the word you know the word really defines the parameters by which god wants to be related to and I think a lot of times, you know, let's go back to the analogy of marriage. You know, in a marriage, maybe a wife doesn't like her husband to throw his socks in the middle of the floor or to, you know, whatever. Uh, when he brushes his teeth, flick his, his toothbrush bristle stuff on the mirror and leave those little white spots. And, you know, he can say, well, just get over it. Or he can clean it up. Or he can learn to brush his teeth differently and to put his socks first right into the hamper. Now... You know, sometimes those things are allowed to persist and you sort of learn to look past them. But could that marriage be closer if the husband would pick up his socks and brush his teeth differently or clean the mirror after he does brush his teeth? 
absolutely. And I guarantee you, if he starts to do that, wifey's going to warm up to him even more. And by the way, it goes from women to men, too. A lot of times wives do things that drive their men crazy. So, you know, we're talking equal opportunity here. But just so in relating to God, there are things that we often do. We're very cavalier. And and with that, it, it, as it were, we are breaching intimacy and pushing him away. And so when we come into that place where we want to communicate face-to-face with him the way I was just describing, it's almost like it's not even in us because we violated the preconditions before we ever get to the conditions themselves. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're putting up so roadblocks. Yeah, exactly. And so I think sometimes these roadblocks are roadblocks of our own making, but maybe we haven't been scrupulous enough in our in our approach to the Lord to uh, to recognize that, or we say, well, that doesn't matter because you know it's the Old Testament, or well, that that's not that big of a deal, or the one that really galls me when I hear it is, Jesus said I could do it. Well, no, he didn't, because if it's in his word not to do it, he's not going to tell you that you can. Or Jesus, you know, Jesus told me I, I shouldn't do it, even though in his word he says you should. And so, you know, there there is this business of creating the right precondition. I think that that is part of the intimacy that we speak about. But then there's this other thing that I talked about with the divine corkscrew is God begins to reveal to us layer upon layer each one of his ways that he teaches us becomes now something that he's that he's given us to do and to the extent that we carry it out we find that every one of those things we carry out those lead us deeper into him maybe it was a few years ago i had a i guess you'd call him a protege or a disciple and he traveled with me quite a bit. One day he was, uh, he was, you know, he, he had his church and I had mine. We didn't live in the same city. But he was, he was involved in a group of young men in that church. And I don't know how it happened, but anyway, they decided as part of their fellowshipping with one another, they would begin smoking cigars and drinking whiskey. And you know, they were gathering around the Lord. Well, I'm not here to pass judgment on smoking cigars or drinking whiskey. I, I will say this, the temple, the body is the temple of the Lord. So you do at least need to think about what you put in it. But it goes way beyond that. I mean, it's also what food do you eat? Are you a junk food addict or, you know, whatever? Anyway, um, so I, I the scripture say, doesn't I, say you... I appreciate, I appreciate you not passing judgment on that, personally. <laughs> So the, the Bible doesn't say you can't smoke, uh, but on the other hand, you know, it is a temple, so you need to think about, well, what, what defiles a temple or not. And, you know, we could say the same thing about alcohol. You, you drink too much of it, it's going to damage your liver and so forth. Anyway, anything in moderation, I guess. But anyway, this friend of mine, he was, I would say, he was having encounters with God, and he was, he was advancing um, into maybe it sounds almost Gnostic and I don't want to sound Gnostic, but I'm going to use the language. He was advancing into higher realms of God or deeper realms of God. So he was involved with this group of young guys and they were gathering for their, you know, cigars and whiskey thing. And the Lord spoke to him and he said, 
no more cigars, no more whiskey for you. Now, the Word of God doesn't say you can't have a cigar, and it doesn't say you can't have whiskey. It does say be not drunk with wine. So I think the principle of drunkenness, whether it's by whiskey or wine, is pretty clear. But to have whiskey and not get drunk, that's, I would say, a gray area. But the Lord himself spoke to this protege of mine, and he said, for you, no more. So he gathered with the guys the next week, and of course out came the cigars and out came the whiskey, and he just said he'd pass and drink ice water. And man, it began, oh, so you think you're holier than us now, huh? Oh, you're not going to do that? Oh, you're one of them now. And on it went. So he went through a pretty significant, you know, hazing. Uh, but he held his ground and held his peace. The next week he went back, same thing happened. Well, now it was getting worse because they thought maybe it was a one-off. But is this a trend? Well, the second week came and went. He drank his ice water and third week came and went, and now they're, they're I mean, ver they're verbally assaulting him. They didn't physically assault him, but, you know, what had been the fellowship of the brethren was no longer the fellowship of the brethren. He was becoming the scapegoat, the black sheep, the one that they would drive out, all because, and he didn't say, you can't have whiskey and cigars. He just wasn't having whiskey and cigars. Well, after the third week, he didn't go back, but, you know, I, I watched him. And I watched over about a one-month period, those three weeks and maybe one more week beyond, and I watched his revelation, his gifting prophetically and with word of knowledge. I watched it triple in a month. And I also watched um, the level of power flowing through his life double, easily double. Maybe it was closer to a triple, but it was at least a double. And all of this because he was honoring the stricture that God himself had put on him. And so I would say that there are times in our journey with God where the Lord may put a stricture on you. It may be for a season. It may be for a lifetime. It, it's, it's like your own version of a Nazarite vow. But whatever that thing is that the Lord lays on you, tells you to do or not to do, no matter what other people may be doing around you, you need to hew to that, stick to it closely, because in that, God is revealing a pathway of intimacy, which will lead to power. Which is, I mean, that's not unlike what Paul says in to work on our salvation with fear. That's right. And Right. That's right. That is exactly correct. We think about persistence and power, and I'm going to keep with the alliteration because I'm a pastor, presence <laughs> and going into intimacy um, those seem to be key components of breakthrough of what we're talking about of finding that that point of pushing into uh, a breakthrough and and it, it seems to work out again individually maybe even for that season or for that thing or for that that specific area that we're thinking about, we're going to work that out with fear and trembling, with, with an awe and respect of God, of what he's asking us and what he's leading us into, into achieving that breakthrough. And so we're looking at those, those different components of, of that. And so is there a component for presence, power, persistence, that's required for us to reach that 
that breakthrough? Um, yeah, I think there's one other one I want to talk about, and it, it's it's back on the Word of God, but it's actually a way that we we use the Word of God, and I don't mean use in the you know sense of like when we use people, but but how do we handle it? How do we understand it? What do we you know how do we how do we get to that place where it is a living and active thing, sharper than a sword that will divide asunder bone from marrow? I, I think that's that's the way I want to be thinking about it. And I would just say that um, for many of the conditions where I've found mastery or dominion, and it's not my mastery or dominion, it's something the Lord has granted me, as it were, in my tutorial times with him. Remember, he did say the Holy Spirit will lead you into all the truth. And he can do it by direct revelation that is not bounded by the Word of God. You could have a dream, an angel could come to you. I mean, there's a number of ways this could occur. But specifically with regard to the Word of God, I've learned that when I've got a situation that is not easy to resolve, to try to find something like it in the Word of God. So I don't know when it was. We've been on this podcast for, I don't know, over an hour, I think. Um, but I was telling the story of the mother with the crippled son. And in that setting, I, I, you know, I'm, we're praying. And as I said, we prayed about three hours. And I was, I was asking the Lord, what does it take to see this boy walk again? And I had a lot of faith for it because not long before that, I'd been in a, I'd done a meeting in New Jersey, and there were two boys with that identical form of muscular dystrophy in that meeting, both of them in wheelchairs. They were twins, and they were both healed and got up and walked out of that meeting. And they were running back and forth on the stage. So I'm just going, doggone it. I know there is a place of dominion over even this where we can heal this thing, and, and Jesus will give that answer. So I was not going to let go of it. I was just like a bulldog with a bone. And uh, so we're praying, and I said, Lord, what is it that causes this boy not to be healed like those other boys in New Jersey? What, what are we missing here, Lord? And the Lord said to me, well, where in my word was there a crippled boy? And my mind immediately went to Mephibosheth, who was the son of of Jonathan, the son of Saul, the king. And as soon as I, as soon as he asked me that question, that was all I needed because, you know, sometimes the Lord has to lead us by, uh, you know, line by line, precept upon precept. But other times, you know, we may know his ways and his word well enough that he can just give us the, the tidbit and it opens the whole doorway on its own. And so as soon as he asked me that, and I said, well, Mephibosheth, and then I remembered, and most people might not remember this piece, but there was a place um, where Saul, the king, the, the grandpa of Mephibosheth, becomes enraged with Jonathan because Jonathan has, well, Saul doesn't know Jonathan has helped David escape, maybe, but, but Jonathan says, David said he needed to go to his home, and so I gave him leave, and that's why he's not here at the feast. And Saul becomes enraged at Jonathan. And most of our biblical translations say, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, which is, of course, Saul's wife, Jonathan's mother, and, of course, this is Mephibosheth's grandmother. 
but in Hebrew, it's actually far more colorful. It's just that most Bible translators won't render it the way it probably ought to be rendered, which is, you son of a bitch. And so it, I, just, I just knew what this was. Just on the simple, where was there a crippled boy in my word? And so I'm like, well, Mephibosheth. And then I remembered that Saul had said this to Dave, to Jonathan. And so I said, um, I said to the mother, tell me about his paternal grandmother. Because, of course, we are talking about Jonathan's mother in the biblical story. That would be the paternal grandmother. And the mother says, well, actually, you know, the mother was at one time a fairly devout Christian. As I remember it, it might have been Catholic, but I could be off on that. So for the purpose of the story, it doesn't it's not it's not a critical factor. But anyway, whatever she was, she was devout. And at one point, she had renounced Christianity and found some guy, moved in with him, and had shacked up with him and was still living in open sin as an older woman um, because she'd abandoned the faith. Well, that is a perverse and rebellious woman. And so we prayed into the perversity and rebelliousness of the grandmother, and the lightnings of God hit that boy, and he got up off the floor. And the Lord had touched him. And so that's a way of using the Word of God that we do not often think about. We're not trained to think analogically. We're not trained to inquire of the mind of the Lord. And I want to be careful here. I am not by this story saying that all crippled boys with muscular dystrophy have a grandmother who's perverse. But some do. And so it has become for me a tool in my toolkit, a key to healing for those cases that are not readily healed. Obviously, if you lay hands on somebody who's got some sort of a condition and they're healed instantaneously, crippling condition, muscular dystrophy, you don't need to go into all that. Don't even bother. Just bless God that he did it and, you know, just soak in the presence and bask in the goodness of the Lord. But if you've tried that and you're not getting breakthrough, then you got to ask a little bit deeper. And, they, you know, this family had prayed for this boy many, many times with no breakthrough, and yet we got to breakthrough because of that revelation rooted in the Word of God being used in a prophetic way. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think what I hear you saying is, is basically in order to get to a point of breakthrough, part of the equation, so to speak, is, you know, allowing the Holy Spirit to open us up to uh, stories and revelations found in the Word of God that apply to our specific situation, and then applying that, those principles to that. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's mm. right. I've told the story elsewhere of, uh, of going to uh, China and of them bringing me a boy who had a hernia, an inguinal hernia, and I won't go into all the ins and outs of it here. I've, I've told it elsewhere. People, if they're interested in what we're doing here, they'll probably bump into that story some other time or through one of my recordings. But um, that boy had an inguinal hernia, and it turned out that there was a you know, long history of it in his family. And so I, I inquired of the Lord. And I actually sat there for 25 minutes while the, the family that had brought this baby boy for prayer for the hernia stood there looking at me like, okay, healer, do something. And I didn't know what to do. I had no idea what to do. I didn't, I, I can't heal a hernia. I can't make it go back into the body. 
Um, but as I waited on the Lord and inquired of the Lord, about 25 minutes into it, so in the scheme of some of these other stories I've told, this was pretty quick. Uh, about 25 minutes into it, the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, where in my word did, uh, did someone's intestines come out of their body? Because that's what an inguinal hernia will do. It, it causes the intestines to pop through the body wall. And I thought of Judas who'd hung himself, and I knew that wasn't it. As soon as I said it, I knew it was wrong. And then there was Herod, who uh, the people cried out, the voice of a god and not of a man. But he didn't He didn't turn that praise aside. The Lord struck him, and his bowels came out of his body, and he died a horrible death. But as soon as I thought of Herod there in Caesarea, I thought, well, that's not it either. I, I don't know what this is. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, well... I'm like, well, well, what? But, okay, so I, I got my phone, and I just touched my Google app. You know, next to the Bible, Google is your friend. And I and I Googled, intestines come out of body, Bible, send. And up came the story of King Jehoram. And I'm pretty sure that 98% of our listeners wouldn't even know what that story is. And 1% more would be familiar with it, but had never thought about it this way. But Jehoram was the son of Jehoshaphat, a righteous king. And Jehoshaphat, uh, and he wasn't the most righteous king of Judah, but he was he was overall a pretty good guy. He was better than most. Um, Jehoshaphat did have one major glaring weakness, though. I was, maybe it wasn't didn't rise to the level of sin, but it was a it was a peccadillo. It was a weakness. It was a proclivity and a tendency that he always fell into. So Jehoshaphat had this weakness. He liked to align with Ahab, the evil king of Israel, the one that was married to Jezebel. So, you know, when we hear Ahab and Jezebel, we all go, boo, hiss, you know, throw the bums out. Well, so this is this is the kind of people that Jehoshaphat would would hang around with. And as you read in uh, 2 Chronicles 21, it turns out that as part of all of that, Jehoshaphat had given his son in marriage to the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. He cemented a marriage alliance with Ahab and Jezebel by marrying his son to their daughter. And with this, presumably, they were trying to reunite the monarchy into one family line. And, as it were, return to the glory of David and Solomon, presumably. And marriage alliances were a thing in those biblical times, and they continued well into the Middle Ages and even into the 20th century. Marriage alliances are a thing among royalty. So I'm looking at that, and it says that Jehoram, when he had, when he had received the throne from his father Jehoshaphat, so now Jehoshaphat, the righteous king, is, is gone, he's dead. It says Jehoram rose up. And, oh, and it says that when, it, when he was alive, Jehoshaphat had given lands and cities and servants and money to all of his sons, but to Jehoram he gave the throne. He was the crown prince. But as soon as Jehoshaphat was dead and in the ground or in the tomb, Jehoram rose up and he slew all of his brothers and he took all of their lands and cities. And it says, moreover, he slew many of the princes of Israel. Well, who were they? They were his brothers-in-law. They were his wife's brothers who had received their pieces of the kingdom from Ahab and Jezebel. And so Jehoram was a man of blood. And it says because of, these, of this wickedness, 
the Lord struck him, and his intestines came out of his body, and he died a horrible death. Well, I'm looking at this, and I'm trying to piece it all together, and I said to the father, you know, tell me, where do you come from? And he said, well, I come from this city in western China. And I said, okay, and how big is that city? He said, oh, maybe it was 300 when I was growing up, but it's probably 500 now. And I said, so at that size, you probably have clans that kind of run this town, right? And he said, yeah, there's three of them. And I said, well, tell me about that. Is there a history of bloodshed, of murder? He goes, maybe not murder, but, but from time to time, the power in the, in the town turns over. And there's usually some kind of bloodshed associated with it. In fact, when my uh, father got engaged to my mother, they were from two different clans, and her brother stabbed my father because he wasn't from their clan. And so this is the way it rolls. And I said, has this been a long history? He says, yeah. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and I said, how far back does this go? He said, well, that, you know, my town is a Muslim town. It goes back at least to the time of the Muslim conquest, so minimum of a thousand years. He said, it may go further, but I mean, as far as anybody knows, this has been going on forever. And I said, there's been no murders. He said, well, none that I know about. And his mother was there with us. And so we asked her and she said, I don't know of any murders, but yeah, there's been a lot of bloodshed and maiming and people losing eyes or limbs because of the violence that, you know, would go on. I said, I think this is it. I think this is the route because the Lord had led me to that passage in, a, in an unusual way. But that, that's what he'd done. He was showing me out of his word, the principle, that this unjust shedding of blood. And with it, Jehoram had this problem. Now, what I didn't tell you is that the father who was present, he also had had an inguinal hernia when he was born. And not only that, his father had had, and so had his father. So we have a history of this, and most people would say, well, that's just genetics. But there was actually something deeper going on here. And so here we are, and I, I had the father confess the sin of the family of shedding blood, uh, blood unjustly for the sake of seizing power. Even though it wasn't murder, it was the same principle. And the baby, who had been fussy and crying and the whole time, and he'd, he'd actually never stopped crying since he'd been born. He hadn't slept in two months. Instantly, the baby stops crying and falls asleep. Boom. And the grandma looks at me and she goes, how did you do that? I mean, this child has not slept in two months. And, and I said, well, we know we're just praying about this. But then as soon as I, uh, I said that, the word of the Lord came to me and I said, within three days, he'll be totally healed. And I wished I could take the words back, but they just came pouring out of my mouth. It was one of those, you know, prophetic things that happens. And so, um, on, and, and so the mom is feeling under the diaper, and, and apparently the inguinal hernia was reduced in size, but, but definitely still there, absolutely still there. But the next day, it was 50% reduced, and then, then the next day, it was 50% reduced from that. So net 75. And on the third day, it was totally closed. And as a bonus, the father's botched surgery for the repair of his inguinal hernia, which had happened when he was eight years old, his inguinal hernia was healed. And that all came because of a, a word based in the word of God, where God revealed the key to the kingdom because I was willing to look at a scripture 
and to hear what God was saying prophetically. Now, I want to be clear. If you wrote an exegesis paper in seminary on that, you would get an F for it, and I would say you should get an F, because that's not proper exegesis of a passage. But when the, when the Lord himself chooses to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, to divide asunder soul from spirit or bone from marrow, two things that are so closely mated you can't even see the joint. When the Lord himself does that, I tell you, you will see breakthrough of things that are otherwise unhealable and unsolvable, and you will have tapped into the infinite knowledge of God that lies hidden within the treasures of his word. And so I really want to encourage everybody that they need to become people who search the word regularly and go deeply into it. And, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known this one because I didn't even think of Jehoram. I thought of uh, Judas and Herod. I, I, didn't, I didn't think of King Jehoram. Well, he wasn't on my radar. I mean, I'd heard of him. I'd read that passage many times. But, you know, like everybody probably listening to this podcast, unless you are a you know, professor of Old Testament, you probably don't know the names of all the kings of Israel. You certainly don't know who preceded whom. All it seems is that they're a bunch of ratbags, uh, by and large. And, you know, the Scripture is always giving kind of a summary judgment that says, yeah, well, you know, he passed away to no one's regret, or, you know, he didn't fear the Lord, or whatever. But, it, you know, many of these kings did great things in the natural. They, you know, they built cities and aqueducts, and they opened up trade routes, and they prospered, and everybody had jobs, and the Bible doesn't give a lick about anything of that. All it says is, he didn't fear the Lord, he didn't serve the Lord, so he was a dirtbag in the eyes of God. And so, um, you know, I think for a lot of people reading the stories of the kings, whether in the books of the kings or the books of the chronicles, it's very tiring, and, and no one really knows how to make sense of it. But, you know, even in passages like that, there are these nuggets hidden, so... I guessed two stories that were not the right stories. I guessed about Judas with this intestine spilling out. I guessed about Herod with this spilling out. I couldn't think of a third one, so the Lord kind of nudged me. And then I Googled it, found it, and then as I stared at the story, you know, I understood what the Lord was trying to prompt me on. And so it turned out, in this case, that this boy, there was bloodshed in the family, and that was the root of these, of these generations of inguinal hernias, who knew? Who knew? And so when you when you look at that, again, I want to make this disclaimer. I'm not saying that every inguinal hernia is because of unjust shedding of blood, but some are. And so, you know, with that, I, I come to one of my most powerful concepts that I, uh, that I teach is that, in general, most conditions that people struggle with, there's what I would call case A, case B, and case C. And these percentages I'm about to give, they are not precise, but, but this is sort of the direction it works. Maybe 70% of the time, case A will be the, the reason that that condition exists. So if we use what I just have been describing, I'm not saying this is case A, but I'm just using it as an example to illustrate. Uh, maybe unjust shedding of blood 70% of the time, it would, it would cause these kinds of hernias in people. Case B will be somewhat smaller. In my experience, maybe around about 20%. So 
So between A and B, you've covered 90% of the waterfront. And then case C is probably 5%. Now, again, these are not precise percentages. And depending on the condition and the particulars, maybe in some cases there's five or six cases. And so the percentages are going to shift a lot. Or in other cases, you might have a case A that's 50%, a case B that's 30%, and a case C that's whatever, 15%, something like that. And if you're kind of following my map, I'm describing roughly 95% of the cases are usually captured in these top reasons, whether it's three, four, or five, but you get the idea. Um, and then you've got the one-offs, the, the strays, the dogs and the cats, where it doesn't follow KC, A, or B, or C, or maybe D or E if they exist. It's, it's You just got to go to the Lord and find out what's going on with this one. But that won't be most of it. That'll just be a, a, a minority of cases. And in the meantime, if you understand the, the predominant cases, you can start to talk with people about their history. And with that, you can create a diagnostic tool where you say, okay, as I'm listening to this person, this is not case A for this condition. And it sounds more like B. Or you may say it's neither A nor B. This one's a C. So it's a much smaller percentage of the cases. Or you may say it doesn't fit A, B, or C, but it's still got that, so there's something else going on here. It may be a combination of factors. It may be something that, you know, doesn't, it's not the A, B, or C case. It's something different. And I, I've just got to get a word from God to fix this thing. And as you inquire of the Lord, the, the word of God will come to you, and you use that to find the breakthrough. And it's, it's using that kind of a tool that we see some of the most dramatic breakthroughs. And so, you know, what always happens whenever I talk about this, I start getting a lot of email from people saying, what are the A, B, and C cases for, you know, this condition? And it's, it's nearly always their condition or their parents or their child or their friend or their husband or wife or something. And, of course, that creates a whole train load of uh, email and communication. I'm, I'm writing a book called An Integrated Guide to Healing and Deliverance, and that'll be part of the book so that this will be available to those who buy it and they can uh, start using that information. Right now it's in my head. And passages of the Bible I've marked where the Lord has shown me, okay, this is related to this. Um, but that, too, is part of contending and persisting. Because I've gone to the Lord and i said, Lord, your word is the path I walk in. This is what the psalmist says in the 119th Psalm. And so I know in your word are, are hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge that will, that will lead me into breakthrough. It doesn't have to be healing. It might be provision. It might be miracles. It might be, you know, turning back your enemy who's, you know, coming after you. And, I don't know, a lawsuit or a neighbor that can't seem to make peace with. But what I know is in God there are always answers for these problems if we will seek them out. But again, we've not been talking way. We've been, we've been trained in our time to be carnal in our thinking, and everything is worldly. We really think no differently from the people in the world, and, and many of our churches, we don't even encourage people to inquire of the Lord to find those answers that are available to solve the most complex and perverse problems of life, and yet God desires to give us the keys of the kingdom. I think that's, that's perfect, and so then sort of putting a bow on this and, and summarizing it, we're, we're going to say 
at least in part of this is what we're saying is keys keys to the breakthrough would be persistence to until we find the power uh, in in the presence and then within the Word of God and that revelation That's that comes right. from. And so a combination of those things would lead us into a breakthrough moment where we get to see the Lord break into our circumstances, however those may be, with his miraculous provision and opening up opportunities that that probably otherwise wouldn't be wouldn't be seen. Is that a fair summation of that? Yeah, and if you want to change that last one to a P, you could call it <laughs> principles. Right? Principles of the Word of God. We've got persistence seeking the principles, and then we've got presence leading the power, and so all of that leads us into those realms of breakthrough. And there are many realms of breakthrough. And and God delights to give us the keys of the kingdom. I really want to underscore that, because for so many people, they're like, well, I don't even know how to hear from God. Well, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So if you don't know how to hear from God, you've got to go back to square one and start figuring out how to hear from God. Because none of this is going to work if you don't hear from God. I think that's perfect. Ken, I, I just want to thank you so much for taking time. I know many of the pastors that are listening to this right now will be preaching these messages uh, over the next little while of, of using the alliterations and, and all of that, how they get our people uh, to pray for breakthrough. But just thanks so much for all of this information, I just want to encourage you guys, if you're listening, um, you can find more on this uh, on Ken's website, and those links are, are, are listed here. It's orbisministries.com, and um, and that'll that'll be on there. Particular teachings uh, to think about as you're as you're looking over things. Um, a lot of Ken's talks on continuous revivals and how to continue to to contend in that. Uh, would be in in those series and also in uh, in God's will to heal. Uh, Kim touches uh, a little bit more deeply on this as well. So uh, be sure to check those things out um, when you get uh, a moment. Ken, again, thank you so much, and uh, we look forward to uh, forward to the next talk. All right. Well, uh, glad to be doing this, and um, I'll just say. Uh, there is one message you might want to consider called Confidence Before God. And if they're interested in joining my training school where we delve into these things further, they can go to Orbis SM. That's Orbis School of Ministry, but we've abbreviated the School of Ministry. So OrbisSM.com. God is Not a Theory is a podcast of Orbis Ministries. For more information about Orbis Ministries, go to orbisministries.org. If you have questions you'd like to have Ken answer on the podcast, please send us an email to podcast at orbisministries.org. Thanks for listening.